0: Good morning, Reading Family Church. How are you all? You you can work with me. It, It just works. How are you all this morning, Reading Family Church? For those of you online, I think they've woken back up, kind of absorbing all the good news about what God is doing amongst us. If we haven't met before, my name is Sean. I lead the team here at Reading Family Church. It's wonderful to look around the room, see many familiar faces, but some of you are new to me. May God bless you. May cause just your your hearts to be knitted in with us. That's what we're believing for. So this is Vision Sunday. And this morning is very much a prophetic message to us. And what I mean by that is, we believe that God speaks to us today. We believe that God has, as it were, now words for us. Specific words for his people at times. We see that in the prophetic. But this is... A sense of, I've been away, and i feel still got some specific things to say to us as a church. And I'm going to be speaking from uh, the book of Isaiah. So this is a prophetic book with a prophetic message. So it might be a little bit different to what you are used to. But before I do any of that, I'm going to uh, tell a little bit about our family history, our family stories, just so you know that. That will make sense of, when I read from the Bible... And then when I've read from the Bible, explains what it meant for them in that time, what does it mean for us here today? And then at about 20 past, I'm believing that we are going to meet with God powerfully, that that's where we're going. And everything I've seen so far this morning is building my confidence that God is going to do what I believe he's going to do. Are you up for that? They are nodding, they're awake now in the room. Quick bit of family history before I pray. So our first mother, first father, Adam and Eve, they were in a garden in Eden. They wanted life on their terms, not God's, so they rebelled and left the garden. Uh, it didn't go well, broke the world. God decided to go again, set his love on a man called Abraham, and said to Abraham, I'm going to give you, your, na- your people are going to be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to give you a land. So Abraham took those promises, and then he went and what God had for him. Time moves on; Abraham's family grows. There's poverty in the land, and so his family, about seventy odd people, go down to Egypt. I'm see, I'm jumping through our family history quickly. They're in Egypt. They go, just seventy or so of them, because of poverty, receive favour. They grow. Four hundred years later, they're now like a nation, and they're enslaved by this. Uh, empire of Egypt. God raises up Moses and Moses calls out the people of God. They leave Egypt, amazing story, someday sit down and read all about that in our family history and then God leads them to Sinai. Now Sinai is important for our family because in that place God is now amongst his people and he gives them promises. He shows them how they're going to relate to him and how they're going to be distinct. He gives them the law, almost like a school teacher showing them how to stand in line until the final promise is fulfilled. That is a redeemer for them. So in Sinai, they're given uh, a promise relationship with God. They then, from that, they move away, finally get to the promised land. And in that place, King David establishes his kingdom, and then Solomon establishes their kingdom. It's amazing what God is doing, but bad goes to worse, and eventually they then become in trouble. That's the potted history of our story. Can I have the first slide up? Let me show this another way. Just to help some of us, this will all make sense. So here we are, we're in the Middle East. There's a picture of that, so we can see the Egyptian empire down there. Our family's been involved in that. The Assyrian empire, after Solomon, they went from bad king to bad king. Few good kings, but mainly bad. The northern part of of our family just rebels against God, and eventually the Syrian Empire rushes in, takes them away, the 10 tribes of our family are lost to the Assyrian Empire, never really seen again. And there's this little remnant of our family in Judah, based around Jerusalem, but in time, they too, it doesn't go well. Now, we're going to join the story of Isaiah. Isaiah, okay, so the first, Isaiah chapters 1 through to 39, hang in there with me. It's all about judgment and hope against Jerusalem. From Isaiah 1 to 39, that's the story. It's not going well. Judgment is coming. It's not going well. Judgment is coming, but there is hope. From Isaiah 40 to 66, there's 150 years between the last words in Isaiah 39. Hezekiah saying, well, at least there's going to be peace in my time. 150 years later, we jump into Isaiah 40. And God's people are now in Babylon in exile. They've been there for nearly 70 years. It's 150 years pause between those two chapters and we can miss that. And then God speaks again. And when God speaks again, what he's now saying, it's not judgment and hope against Jerusalem. It is now judgment but hope for the nations. Judgment against the nation but also hope for the nations. Which is... Why our family looks like it does today. Are you up for this? Holy Spirit, we're so glad to be knitted into this great ancient family that has so much evidence and activity of God breaking in for his purposes and plans. We thank you we see evidence of it even this morning as we look around this room. And I pray, Holy Spirit, will you continue talking to every heart in here so that we encounter the fullness of the presence of God Before we leave this room today, come Holy Spirit. I pray that for those who are online, those who are on catch up, and for those of us here now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So Isaiah 41, I'm going to read 14, 15, and 16, all in one go. And then I'm going to go back and explain them. Because once you understand what went to the original hearers, you'll see and understand why I feel that God is speaking to us about this. Verse 14, 41 14, I'm reading from the ESV. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. And you shall make their hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and their tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel, you shall glory." So let me just explain what verse 14 is all about. Verse 41, sorry, chapter 41, 14 says this. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Now when those original hearers understood worm, they would have thought about something really small as being something actually quite insignificant. So if you were called a worm, it wasn't that you aerated the soil. It's that you were small. You were insignificant. Much like the worm at the end of the book of Jonah. You know when Jonah, the grumpy prophet who runs away, sits under the shade of a vine... And then God sends a worm, and this small insignificant thing eats away at the vine, and it dies. So something small is used by God for his purposes, to arrest the prophet Jonah. So when they said worm, it's small, but when God uses it, it's significant. When they've heard Redeemer, they would have thought about the kinsman Redeemer. This sense that that someone in your family who has influence, who has strength, who has resources, takes ownership of you. They protect you. They help you. And their minds most likely would have went to the story of Boaz. Ruth and Boaz turned up in the land, destitute, helpless, women who needed help. And Boaz took responsibility for them. He became and acted as their kinsman redeemer. Even when a closer kinsman redeemer should have helped them, didn't want anything to do in case it endangered his inheritance, Boaz stood up. He was their redeemer. He was their protector. He was going to give them help. He was going to use his resources, his influence to look after them. To so that would have been in their mind. So God is saying to these remnant, if we flick onto the map, to those who are in exile in Babylon, that actually I am your strength, I am your help. Now that was important because if we flick to the second map, if we can get on that, what's happening? They're in exile in Babylon and now another empire is moving. The Persian empire is on the move. Cyrus. And the Persians are ruthless. And this little remnant now in exile in Babylon are aware that the Persians are coming. And they know and their parents can remember this is what it's like when you're torn from your land and put into a foreign place. They've got these stories and God is saying to them, you are a worm, yes, because you're in exile. You're small compared to the Babylon empire. And Persia is coming, but fear not, for I hold your hand. You are a worm, but I am your redeemer. Verse 15 goes on to say this. Behold, this is what God is saying to this worm, this small, insignificant people in exile, facing a huge empire that is ridiculously large. He says, and behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth, and you shall thresh the mountains and crush them. And you shall make their hills like chaff. Many of us will be unfamiliar what a threshing sled is. If it, Flick the sign up now. So after they used to cut the grain had to try and separate the grain from the husks. And so they'd drag a threshing sled over it. It's quite hard to say. I've been practicing it. A threshing sledge over it. And it would often be dragged by animals over it. And it would separate it out. It was a way of separating the wheat from the chaff. And then they'd willow it. And then the wind would come and blow it away. And there would be a harvest. It was a, a tool for harvest. So God is saying to this small, insignificant people, who are under threat from a vast empire, captives themselves of the Babylonian empire, I'm going to make you a threshing sledge. And do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use you as a sled that threshes mountains. These huge obstacles that stop you moving around, I'm going to use you, I'm going to make you a threshing sledge. I mean, it was ridiculous. How could a threshing sled be used to thresh, to reduce mountains, unless God is behind it. So we see in verse 16, it says this, You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel, you shall glory. Glory. So this remnant, so you are going to make a way. You are going to thrash mountains. You're going to reduce the hills. You're going to make a way in the desert. You're going to make a way, a highway for God. And the Spirit of God, like a wind, is going to blow and move. And in those moments, there's going to be a great harvest. And the result of that is this. You're going to rejoice, not in what God has done, but you're going to rejoice in God. Not just in what he's done, although we can be grateful for that, but our eyes are going to be lifted up again to the one who's done it, the one who is their redeemer, who is their joy, their hope, their glory. It's God. So God is saying that to these people in exile. I'm broadly on track. This is good news. What does this mean for us? What are the hills and mountains that surround us? What are the big empires, these obstacles to the purposes of God? Remember, God's people, you could flick that mountain. God's people, they're in exile. They're aware that Cyrus, we find out later in a few more chapters, that he's going to be the shepherd of Israel, that God is going to use Cyrus, this Persian king, to release the people of God to return back. Actually, could you put the second map back up? This is what happens, history teaches us this. The Persians come in to Babylon. The Babylonian Empire collapses really without a fight that damages Babylon, and so the Jews are safe. Cyrus, this secular king, he orders the remnant to return back along the fertile crescent along the Tigris River to come back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, not just to rebuild the walls, not just to rebuild the temple, but to restart temple worship. That the presence of God is once again in a place that is functioning. And this temple isn't just for the Jewish people. It is for the nations. What this passage is telling us, that they had to make a road all the way back. So they could come back from Babylon to Jerusalem. reestablish the presence of God. That was the call upon them. They had to go on a journey. There was going to be valleys and hills. But there, it was all about reestablishing the presence of God, the purposes of God. Now, over the summer, I've been thinking and reflecting and praying say, God, what have you got for us? What are you talking to us in this time? There is much about us in many ways as we consider ourselves. We are in. Remember when we went through the book of Daniel? that we are like exiles, this isn't our nation, this isn't our country. In many senses, uh, we know we're people of another kingdom, and we're kind of living out a way here to demonstrate the glory of God. It, It feels like we are supposed to be in exile, and we can feel very, very small. And there are some significant obstacles to establishing the kingdom of God. And as I have been thinking and praying, I just keep thinking about these hills, these mountains of poverty and prejudice. They're not the only ones that surround us. But as we sat here and as we look around, what is stopping us building a straight road, a, a road, a highway into the presence of God? One of them clearly an obstacle we need to that is before us is poverty and prejudice. Uh, this week in the staff team, we've just been chatting. This week I've heard a story, or Joe told a story again this week. We're thinking about poverty. She knows someone in Whitley who's died of poverty. She can stand in our office window and look out and say, there's someone that they died because of poverty. Because they didn't have the relationships around them. There wasn't the finances around them, or the food, or the funding. There's the whole package of poverty. She died because of poverty. And Joe, when she talks about it, and, and, and Sue, some the team—they're still moved in their emotions. Helen Hall, one of our debt uh, coaches, she said this week just very easily. She said, "When I give someone a debt plan, as good as it is, I know it's not enough. That that person needs much more than just a debt plan." And I thought, well, "No, that's true." Speaking to Blessing in the week, his boys just started school here in the UK. And some of the other children in the room have told his son. They don't like the color of his skin on multiple occasions. And Blessing is now leading himself and his boy in that conversation. Because those little kids are saying stuff, but they've picked it up somewhere. Kids do say dumb stuff. He's got to lead himself through that. This week, I, I, I was remarking again. About on the 20th of August, my horror when that woman, who, the captain of the team of Spain, gets kissed on the lips. And just just everything around it helped me understand that even the, the prejudice and the unconscious bias that goes on between the sexes, the male and female. I went to a listening event this week between the prejudice of between men and women in church life. And I had just to listen to the pain in the room, as women talked about how they've been handled by men. And this is in church. This isn't like in a workplace. And you're sitting there, you're just thinking, man, these are massive for us hills, mountains, that once had seems so big, aren't they? How on earth can we? We're, you know, we're just this little church. Now, other churches might think we're big, but think maybe we're six, seven hundred, eight hundred people. I don't know. But we're small. If we think about the mountain of poverty in Reading, it, it is overwhelming. The, the, the council are not going to be able to sort it. Their resources are getting squeezed. Who are we to think that we could be part of that mountain being threshed? Who are we to think the, the deep prejudices, and we haven't even talked about class yet, the deep prejudices that sit in us as well as those who don't yet believe in Jesus, who are we to think that we can be used by God to thresh those mountains? It's, it's foolish, except I believe God has said that to us. Except for I believe that God is speaking to us about that. And the truth of the matter is, if we don't do it now, when are we going to get to that? And I'm not saying they're the only mountains we face. But in terms of, the mountain or the foothill, let's say, of poverty in Reading, or the prejudice that's in Reading, and you will see other foothills or mountains, I'm sure. This isn't ex- exhaustive or exclusive, I'm just saying. If we don't address, think about it now, when are we going to do it? Will we get to it when we get a building? A few weeks back, it was really full at the 9 and the 11.30, wasn't it? In two and a half years' time, at the lease is up on our offices, As far as we know, the owner wants to redevelop the site, we're out. Are we going to wait until we've got the building sorted? When that is done, that is when we believe that we're going to start threshing mountains. We know that's not the case. Is it going to wait till we're more people? So maybe when we get to 1,000, then we can start to think about posturing ourselves to believe that God could use us as part of what is threshing in Reading. Or maybe it's a training course. Ah, that's it. Let's get everyone trained. What is it? Do we need a bigger staff team? What is it? When is that moment happening? If it's not now, when is it? Everyone's gone really quiet. I know you're catching up. But why not now? It's the same God. God is speaking to us. I think he spoke to me specifically about, if not now, then when? I'm thinking, well, let's go now. I'm up for it. What I look at you, I think you're up for it. Tell your face you're up for it with a smile. <laughs> oh, no, you're up for it. You're smiling. If not now, then when? Here's the wonder of what I think God is saying to us. It's such a joy. We have been given a specific prophetic invitation to this. God wants to include us. He wants to include us in the threshing sled that is going to level mountains, that is going to make a way, that is going to bring his kingdom, that is going to bring many into his presence. That's an invitation to us. And better still, We've got a redeemer. We've got a helper. We've got a Boaz figure amongst us who has resources and influence and is ever-present amongst us. We've got Jesus. He is our redeemer. If not now, then when? I've been told, and it's not my language, you shouldn't trust a skinny chef. If they're not eating what they're baking, don't go there. I was going to say, you've got to smoke what you sell, but the legalists would be horrified that we'd be smoking anything. I get that. <laughs> but listen, if we don't believe this stuff, what are we doing? If, if we don't believe we've got good news, if we don't believe that God is with us to do extraordinary things, why would anybody else listen to us? Here's a quote from someone called David Platt, who again arrested my attention. He said, One of our greatest needs, if not our greatest needs, is extraordinary prayer for the fullness of the presence of God amongst his people. Oh, oh, I want that kind of extraordinary prayer in my life and in the life of this church. Can you imagine that if we, we, we pushed into that, if one of our needs, if not our greatest need as a church family right now, is not a building, it's not another training course, good as those things are and helpful, we do need to gather to something and understand what we actually believe as followers of Jesus. Our greatest need right now is extraordinary prayer for the fullness of God. To be present amongst his people. Are you up for that? Our prayer meeting last Sunday night, we were just gathered together and there was just, I mean, I went with a bit of an agenda. I was trying to downplay it, but then we got all these confirmations. Well, we need to meet in prayer. We need to meet in prayer. This feels like a season of meeting God in prayer. Uh, the prophetic working party have been meeting this week, and this morning said, "Actually, unknown of what I'm preaching, they said we need to meet in prayer before the meeting starts." Jason Holland, the church started in his home, uh, way back in February 2000. Jason Holland was a little boy then; still a little boy now, in some ways. J. A. Eh? And uh, his playfulness—he is pretty playful, that young man. Anyway, he starts, and now Jason puts on the group: "We need to pray." And we're off, and we're praying this morning, because one of our greatest needs, if not the greatest needs, is extraordinary prayer for the fullness of the presence of God amongst His people. When we think about, what does that actually mean, Colossians 1 tells us this: Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I believe that God, and I am praying that God is going to use us as part of his threshing sled for reading. That God is, we're not, we're not the threshing sled. We're part of what he's doing in the town. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. There's one church in Reading, but he's going to use us, that he, we would be a threat, part of his threshing sled in our town, to thresh the mountain, the foothill of poverty. And that's a calling upon us. I believe that God is going to use us to be a threshing sledge against prejudice in our town. And it's going to start first with us, most likely, and be worked out from here. And I'm believing even now, numbers of you have got similar mountains that you see, that you want God to call us to be part of what he's doing in the town, to reduce that. And then believing that the wind of the Spirit is going to blow. And there's going to be a move of God. and some of the language that's starting to be used, God, please revive our hearts. Revive the hearts of the men and women in our church that we'd long to be in the, have to know the fullness of the presence of God as we gather in his name, whether it's in ones and twos or even individually or online or as a group. We'd have carts that are quickened. We don't just do the, the plot of God or there's a place for that. We would know some of the power and the presence of God in his fullness when we gather. I believe this is on us. We're not waiting. If not now, then when? Yeah. When do we want that? At Christmas? After our holidays? When we've got that job or that relationship or that child? Or when your health improves? If not now, then why not now? Why not now? Why not now? So I'm going to lead us now in a time of prayer. And so, if you band, could you? Come back up. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do a pray in a little bit of a different way. And we're just going to see what God is going to do. So this morning, we're not asking you to sign up and give your money. Not yet. We're not asking you to sign up and do serving and do more stuff. Well, not yet anyway. We're asking you to join us. In a season of extraordinary prayer for the next few months. And that we would be individuals, that would be women, we'd be men, we'd be families, we'd be singles, we'd be married and divorcees and uncles and aunts who pray extraordinary prayers. Yes. Extraordinary prayers. That we'd have a hunger and appetite for the fullness of the presence of God to be amongst us, the fullness. Of the presence, of, and in that place, we figure out what's next for us as a church family to play our part to be a threshing sledge in our town, used of God against the mountains. It's ridiculous. Who are we? The council can't do it. Do you realise if you are an asylum seeker in our town and you get permission to stay, Andy Dickens tells me you're then given seven days to leave your accommodation, find a job, and go. You got seven days. The council can't sort that. I'm not saying we can, but there's massive endemic, systemic poverty and homelessness in our town. When are we going to get to homelessness? I don't know. But let's start with prayer. Let's start with us. Let's start with him. Communing with him, knowing him, pushing into him. So if you're able, please could you stand up. We're going to spend the next 10 minutes or so And we're going to pray together. And we're going to do this in a slightly different way. The band are just going to play quietly behind. As elders, we met this week, and one of the things we're wrestling with is prayer, and prayer in our Sunday gathering moments. We're going to have just 10 minutes of prayer now. We're going to pray in this way. We're going to praise, repent, ask, then yield. Almost reminding ourselves how we can use 10 minutes at home. If your prayer life isn't what it once was, or you've reduced it just to arrow prayers, we just want to remind you that as a church, we want this discipline. Just 10 minutes to make sure our prayers are not just intercessory about us, that our diet is a bit healthier when it comes to prayer.